baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no off-season. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this in a hotel room in Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, the birthplace of former Boston Red Sox catcher and broadcaster Bob Montgomery. I'm in Nashville. What am I doing in Nashville? I'm I'm doing some stuff for the other podcast that I do work on for, which is called Real Crime Profile. And there's a big convention here called CrimeCon, where a lot of fans of Real Crime podcasts and everything like that come. They we have fun here. We did we just did a live podcast recording. Uh, it's a wonderful experience, and it is the evening. And I haven't done much sightseeing. In Nashville right now, I am uh, uh, by myself right now in the hotel room, and I am having a quite a baseball day. You know, Nashville is the home of the Nashville Sounds, which is really one of the best baseball names because you know the Nashville Sound refers to a type of music, and it's really the thing you think about when you are in. Nashville, you think about the music, you think about country music. I mean, one of the great uh, movies of the 1970s was Nashville, the Robert Altman film, which the the culture of country music was an important part of that whole movie. The TV show Nashville is the same thing. So it's a it's to have a team name that reflects the city and what people think about them is is great. I think that's it's terrific. And so, you know, the the sound the the Nashville Sounds have been uh part of the Southern League since nineteen seventy eight. Uh beforehand there were the teams like the Nashville Americans, the Nashville Blues, which is a good name, but you know, I don't think of the blues when I think of Nashville. Uh Nashville Tigers, the Nashville Centennials, that's for the uh a 19th century team, um, but now you know the we're the Nashville Sounds has been the the club. It's been it was a, a Tigers, a Reds, a White Sox, a Pirates affiliate, Brewers affiliate. Now it's the Oakland A's affiliate. Their AAA team. Uh, Nashville at one point was a team that a, a city that really was boxing out to get a. Expansion franchise. They pushed hard in 1990. They wanted to have a team, and there was a, baseball hadn't expanded since the uh, the formation of the Blue Jays and the Mariners in 1977, and the National League had not expanded since 1969 with the formation of the Expos and San Diego Padres, and. So when they pushed for an expansion in the early 1990s, there were a lot of cities that seemed ripe. I mean, Denver was the obvious one because they had Mile High Stadium. Uh, the Denver Zephyrs were very successful there. And there was a stadium that was already built in St. Petersburg to lure. They tried to lure the Giants. They tried to lure the White Sox. They tried to lure the Texas Rangers. And the expansion went to Colorado and to Miami. Miami already had Joe Robbie Stadium, which could be retrofitted for baseball. And Nashville pushed hard. 
Nashville at the time had no major league franchises of any kind. Not an NBA team, not a hockey team, not a football team, not a baseball team. Now, they still have an NBA team. There's an NBA team in Memphis, in Tennessee. And then the Oilers were poached from the from Houston, and they are now the Tennessee Titans. And the NHL had expanded into Nashville to create the Nashville Predators, who have actually been quite successful the last few years. And they're quite popular. I mean, you've seen a lot of people here with Predators hats and everything. Uh, they're in the playoffs right now. I can't help but wonder, because, look at this is going to upset some people, some Miami Marlins fans, but let's face it, the Marlins have not been uh, a model of success. They've won the two world championships, yes, but they've had trouble filling the ballpark. The ownership's been a disaster. And at the time, I, it's kind of hard to believe this, but at the time, Miami was just this coveted site. Like, oh my God, we're going to have a great you know, baseball history here. Great, this is, this is going to be a perfect baseball city. And it's really been an albatross. It really has been. And I can't stop but think that if baseball had a chance to have a do-over, would they have put a team in Nashville in nineteen, you know, the beginning of the 1993 season instead of in Miami? Especially when you look now. I mean, there's some big companies that are here. Nissan and, and Bridgestone America. I mean, there's a, there, this is an expanding city. This is a city that has you know, a booming population and, some, and corporate money. It's still ridiculous. I mean, I still can't help but think that the right ownership would have baseball thrive in Miami. I mean, but would it have done better in Nashville? Because remember, I mean, think about it at the time. There was no major franchise here. None. And if you had placed one here, would it have been a success? Would this have been a big baseball town? I mean, I, I fervently believe that if you would put a, a basketball team here, because basketball is huge in this part of the country, that it would have been a big success. But what if you had made, you would plopped a major league team here? Would that have worked? Would that have been, would Nashville be a big baseball town? You know, especially when you see cities that get a team that kind of put them on the map, you see the the city flock to them. Even in a situation like San Jose, around that same time, San Jose got the Sharks. Now, San, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area already had, you know, NBA team, had two baseball teams. The Raiders were still in L.A. at the time. They had the 49ers. So they were, they were a major market. But putting them in San Jose suddenly you saw great attendance and you saw a lot of people who were not hockey fans, but they knew that this team put them on the map and they became passionate and the Sharks drew quite well. Could that have been the case with a Nashville Major League team? Or if the right ownership had formed the Marlins, would Miami be this absolute great baseball hotbed, which it should be. I mean, you have a a great Cuban culture, a great Latin culture, and baseball is huge in Cuba and huge in Latin America. You've got a lot of transplanted Northeasterners who, you know, love baseball. I mean, there's just, it should, you know, you've got Southerners where there's a lot of players come out of Florida. 
I mean, it's such a natural fit. In fact, it's, it doesn't. It's a disaster. And the fact that I'm sitting here wondering, should they have expanded into Nashville instead of Miami back in 1990, uh, uh, 1993, just shows you what a <laughs> colossal bomb the Marlins have been for these, you know, this more than quarter century. But, you know, we'll never find out for sure. We'll never find out for sure. Hey, a couple things happened last night. One thing is happening as I'm recording this. Uh, first of all, let's just let's give Albert Pujols' due. Albert Pujols is part of an elite group. Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, A-Rod, and Albert Pujols all have 3,000 hits and 600 home runs. And that's it. Now, Frank Robinson came breathtakingly close to being part of this elite group. And and when you look at Frank Robinson, who in some ways is, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer and, and a two-time MVP and everything like that, but he's almost underappreciated. He finished with 586 homers and 2,943 hits. He had 57 hits and 14 home runs more. And he would have been on this list too. And he played for 21 years. So if just a couple of hits each year and one more homer, like almost every other year, he would be in this conversation as well. But he's not, and that's because the numbers are there. Babe Ruth, you know, he didn't get the 3,000 hits, partly because he had so many years as a pitcher. He was only, you know, playing 30, 40 games a year. But Pujols is in this elite crew. And let's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that Pujols is doing it and is not, like, last year he was bad. I mean, last year he was, his slugging was down, his on, pace, his on base was down. I mean, he's not been great this year, but he's been a little better. At least he hasn't had, like, he had 23 home runs and 101 runs bad in last year. And it was the softest 23 home runs and 101 runs bad in you'll ever see. I mean, he was, he, he wasn't getting on base. He was, he was, it was just not a good year. And you could just see that, you know, he was starting to slip. And he's been a little better this year. And the Angels have been a little bit better this year. I still stand by my thought that it might have been the right thing to bat him ninth and Pujols, and uh, not Pujols, uh, Trout leadoff. Because he would see more pitches with Trout right behind him. And you would have more at-bats for Trout. But, you know, let's, I mean, look, at he has been playing for 18 years. He's put up tremendous numbers. Now, he's still under contract. I mean, he is still under contract for, how many more years is this ridiculous contract? For next year, the year after, and then the year after that. I do think it's a shame he didn't get his 3,000th hit in Anaheim because in some ways, Giving the fans that moment was like the one last thing. They're saying, well, at least we got a 3,000 hit out of it. And the other day when the Angels just absolutely were spanking the Orioles, he kept coming up and it was like, oh, come on, do it in front of the home fans, do it in front of the home fans. Now, what is he here for? I mean, he's not off to a great start. He's not off to the terrible season he was last year, but he's not off to a great start. And quite frankly, he could still become an albatross. What do you do with them? Seriously, what do you do with them? 
I mean, you're not going to designate for an assignment like the uh, Mets did with Matt Harvey. It's just too much. But do you bench him? Do you find some other thing to do with him? If he, if he doesn't start really contributing. And this is an Angels team that's, you know, trying to contend. And they have Shohei Otani who's doing a good job. But let's not be negative. We saw a guy and his whole career be able to put up those big numbers and be able to be an elite player and do so without getting caught. Do I think Pujols did something? He was a slugger in the 2000s, you know, and, and an obscure draft pick. Do I think something may have happened? Yeah, probably. But do you know what? His career is declining the way you would expect a career to decline in his mid to late 90s, or mid to, geez, mid to late 30s. Sorry, he's not that old. So, you know, it's not so bad. Now, let me say what other things happening right now. Uh, I have on the the Dodgers and the Padres. Now, the Padres still have never had a no-hitter in their franchise history, but um, Bueller, Singrani, Garcia, and now Libertori are combining. There's It's the ninth inning. They're playing this game in Mexico, in Monterey, Mexico. And it was a monsoon going on in Mexico. And the Padres haven't gotten a hit. Now, it's you're seeing a lot of you know, Valenzuela throughout the first pitch. Uh, I don't mind a game being played in Mexico. I don't. You know, there's get, get, you know, they're, obviously these fans are loving it here. A lot of Valenzuela jerseys here. But they may be getting to see a no-hitter. And, well, Dodgers are two outs away from doing so. They just struck out. Uh, uh, Libertore, how the hell do you pronounce his name? Libertore. Libertore. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm going to go to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, and see if they have the correct pronunciation. The amazing thing is you're listening to this, so you know if the Dodgers pulled off this no-hitter or not. You know. I don't. As I'm recording this, I don't. Now, let me tell you something. That's not single. Libertore is who I want. Um... Singrani, Garcia, Bueller, and Libertori. Now, let me tell you something. It would not surprise me. Liber, liberator. 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 That's how it is. And I like combined no-hitters. I do. I like when you have some people who you don't expect to have their names etched into the no-hitter um, records you know, as a middle reliever or something like that because I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's great when the guy's a badass and he goes nine innings and there it is, but I want the Dodgers to get this so you can have the players like Adam Liberator in the annals of no-hit history. Because what you know, the the players who are involved in this no hitter right now, and I keep saying no hitter, and of course, if they don't get the no hitter, someone will blame me. But you know, what? it has nothing to do with me. But you know, the players like you know, Yimi Garcia. This is his second game ever. You know, Tony Singrani is not having a good year this year. You know, um, Walker Bueller has pitched two games in the major leagues this year, and. 
If they can get two more outs, they will be in the no-hitter annals of history. I think that's neat. This could be the greatest moment in all their careers. Or this could be the thing that kickstarts it. I mean, Yimi Garcia is a 27-year-old. I don't know much about him. He's played a handful of games. He had one year, 2015, where he pitched a bunch of games out of the bullpen for the Dodgers. Oh, there's a fly ball. Left field. Uh-oh, who's got it? Left fielder can't see it. He's caught it. There are two outs. There are two outs. That's right. Yimi Garcia played in 2015 and actually played in the postseason against the Mets that year. So, yeah, I, I for, see, I didn't even think that was the same dude. And Walker Bueller has only played what? How many games has he played? He's played, this is like his third game in the major leagues. Or did he play before that? Yeah, he pitched only he pitched a handful of games in 2017, which I don't remember. So Franchi Cordero is the only thing keeping Singrani, Garcia, Liberator, and Bueller from the no-hitter record book. I like that. You know? Don't hog it for the Clayton Kershaws and the Max Scherzers. You know, have some of these guys have a chance to throw a no-hitter. Liberator. I can now have got Liberator. Liberator now has 2-0. and There's two outs. The Dodgers are trying to get a combined no-hitter with a truly unlikely cast of characters. And if they get this, I have a serious philosophical question to ask about no-hitter lore. Oh, by the way, this may be the last day I can say this. The Red Sox, my beloved Red Sox, are the only team whose losses are still in single digits. I can just say that now. In case they lose, I want to be able to say it's May 4th and they're still in single digits and losses. Okay, back to the game. You know, there's... This is a good way to sell baseball in Monterey. I say, come here, sit in a monsoon, and see a no-hitter be thrown. I'm going to keep saying no-hitter to show all of you that there is no connection between saying no-hitter and actually having a no-hitter happen. Um, So it is now two outs, two strikes, an unlikely group, and... Who would own baseball? I guess I'd have to have Walker Bueller because he threw the six innings of no hit with eight strikeouts. Here we are. Two strikes. Is Liberator in the record books? You're damn right he is. He struck him out. A combined no hitter. Greg Maddox never had a no hitter. Yimi Garcia has. It's the first combined no-hitter in L.A. Dodgers history. The 23rd overall uh, no-hitter in Dodger history, both Brooklyn and Los Angeles. Walker Bueller, Tony Singrani, Yimi Garcia, and Yimi Garcia, sorry, and Adam Liberator are all pitchers who say, "Have you ever thrown a no-hitter?" Yeah. Yeah, I have. Now, here's my philosophical question. Now, first of all, I think you're going to see more combined no-hitters with the way people are having their handling their bullpen. I really do. I think you're going to see teams be like, yeah, you pitched great. 
And uh, do you know what? I'm going to bring this guy in to throw one solid inning. This guy's going to throw one solid inning. Dave Roberts is hugging players left and right. It's really cool. Now, here's the question. Because with every no-hitter that's thrown, Johnny Vandermeer's name comes up. Johnny Vandermeer threw back-to-back no-hitters back in 1938. Only person to ever throw no-hitters in consecutive starts. So, with that in mind, what has to happen in order for this no-hitter to match the record set by Johnny Vandermeer? Does it have to be Bueller, Singrani, Garcia, and Liberator? Do they all have to throw, participate in the no-hitter? I don't know, and neither do you. But one thing we've done is I've proven that you can say no-hitter all night long and it not affect the game because it's not affecting Major League Baseball. And also, hey, I'm sitting in Nashville where there's no Major League team, and maybe there should be. And in a night where Albert Pujols etched his name into the record books, a record that, you know, the a spot where you would expect him to be because he's been a great player, a Hall of Fame caliber player in all these years, that we can honor Albert Pujols. But we can also honor Bueller, Singrani, Garcia, and Liberator. There's room to honor both sides of the coin. The superstar for longevity, and a bunch of guys you don't expect who etched their name into immortality. Man. What a great sport you're missing, Nashville. So go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, right on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski from Music City. This has been the Sully Baseball Podcast for May the 4th. Hey, it's Star Wars Day, May the 4th, 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I'm begging you, call me Sully. <laughs>